Hey boomers, welcome once again to another issue of Sonic the Comic the Podcast, your sega Stational guide to the 1990s and the world of the UK's official Sega comic. My name, as always, is Chris McFeely, one of the humes who thinks he's in charge around here. And I am Dave Bulmer, the other of the humes who thinks he's in charge around here, and this time we're going to be reading you issue number 40! When was that out? Cover dated December 9th, but released on November 26th. God. Close to the end of the year, isn't it? I know. I mean, that's good, isn't it? Where does it it go? I mean, I'm happy about that. Who wants to be in 2020 for longer than necessary? I wouldn't mind staying in 1994 for a little longer. That'd be lovely. (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? I would have said that the first time round. I know. I mean, if we get into 1995, then we have to start thinking about PlayStations coming soon. Oh, no, we don't. No, we don't. Until much further away in in our mind's (laughs) eye. Inside Sonic on Ice bonus decap attack special complete story. And our cover is dominated by Knuckles. It's a Richard Elson Knuckles. He's jumping at you. I, I don't know if that's meant to be like him doing his glide, but he's just sort of coming I at you. I presume it is since he's in mid-air, and not mm. just in a jumpy in mid-air, like miles above the floating mm. island in the background and in the cloud. So I think he's supposed to be gliding, but it does look like he's coming at you, yeah. It looks like he's riding an updraft. Still got that plus Knuckles on the cover that we were talking about last issue. Oh, yep. Sonic yes. the Hedgehog plus Knuckles, even though Knuckles is right there. Uh, there he is. On the cover. I see that it's plus yeah. Knuckles, yeah. Sonic on Ice and a special Decap Attack complete story. That'll be good. Yes. It will be good. Free Sonic sticker set number five. It's the last one. The last one. And uh, no evidence this time of what the stickers are because I don't have it. Sadly, we don't have that thrill this time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, well we know from last issue's next issue page that one of them is the Tails one. Zone Runner is watching you. That Corona image of him in his big baggy jacket. Part of the reason that became such a a burned in image for us. Yeah, Corona, friend to us in 94, enemy to us in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) Okay, I think you could have cut that, right? (laughs) Holy shit! It's all Bob's fault! (laughs) (laughs) I literally never put that together. Neither tell us that. Oh, he's got you. Bob's got you. Oh no! <laughs> it was just right. when he said it. Then I was like, "What, Corona? Oh yeah, 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 Bob Corona." <laughs> <laughs> but wait, God, never. Wow. Okay. It's stone time. Every Tuesday afternoon, the Hurricanes face more than just football opponents. They're gangsters. Loads of action. We're the Hurricanes. Packed with danger. Look out, Hurricanes. Tuesdays, quarter past four on CITV. It's storm time with the Hurricanes. The back cover is that flipping Hurricanes boy yet again. And the reason I want to actually say this, because normally when there's a repeat advert, we just skip it. But I just want to establish on this podcast that this boy kicking his footballs around, if you can do this, you can play this. I think of that as the back cover to STC. Knowing me, it probably was just three issues, but it felt like it was just there for... Ever. <laughs> well, I think it's been the back cover on two and inside. Yeah. At least once. At least once. So yeah. we'll see if there's any more of it, to be honest. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, nothing comes to mind as the back cover of STC. But in the early days, it was that Cool Spot advert. You know, the green page with Cool Spot. Yeah. And then there was this one. I don't think I have any more coming up, but we'll see. What is Megadroid on about this week? You know, they want to know where people have stuck their stickers. Yes. Somewhere warm and weatherproof, I hope. Yes, these long winter nights are already causing havoc with my metallic bits. Couldn't Mm. figure out if he was 
trying to be a bit rude there or not? I don't think so. <laughs> it's the way he goes straight from somewhere warm and weatherproof to his metallic bits. <laughs> well, I think he's just flagging up that it's winter and nearly Christmas as a means of setting up the info for later. I see, yes. The through line is weather. Well, yes. But as he says himself, talking of the elements, Sonic gets a chilly reception in the frozen zone. That's our Sonic strip for this issue. Uh, this bit of terminology threw me. STC fave raves, eternal champions and decap attack bow out for the last time for now. Hmm. I don't think, you know, when you bow out for the last time, yeah. you're gone. Bowing out is already quite final, and then yeah. bowing out for the last time, that's super duper final. Yeah, and that's true for eternal champions, but... When he says, yeah, <laughs> when he says bow out, it means there's another one, and, and this is the last one. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of, yeah, it's a bit um, tripping over itself. A little bit. But then he tells us we've got some knuckles, and then finally I've been experiencing a tingling sensation in my circuits. He's edging close to being a bit rude, Chris. What with all this Christmas activity, and there's more excitement on the way with STC 41 and 42's mega issues. Mmm. Mega issues, you warned me there were some mega yes, issues coming they up. they told us about it last issue, but it turns out I was a little wrong about one thing. Oh, really? Yes, which was that I, given that they told us they were 48-page issues, and STC mm. is 36 pages normally, I thought it was only 12 extra pages, but Megadroid clarifies here that it's 16 extra pages. They don't count the covers. Oh. So it goes from 32 interior pages to 48 interior pages, or 52 pages! Total. Oh, brilliant. Cool. Each of these two mega-sized Christmas issues is going to have further fab free gifts in the shape Ooh. of, I remember these, the yes. exclusive, these must be in your box of secrets, Steve, oh, the yes. Sonic Badnik Spotter cards. Yes, my memory of those is that they're quite cheapy sort of, you know, cut along the dotted line yes. trading card type things. I don't remember, I think they're double-sided. Um, can't remember. You know, like a picture of the badnik on the front and then some vital stats on the back, maybe? I'm not right. sure. But get them out of your box. We'll take pictures of them for the Twitter when the time comes. Because I don't remember much about them. These are going to be 150. The very things to feast your mince pies on, so order your copies now. That's good, isn't it? Because it's rhyming slang, but also Christmas. That's a good bit of editorial there. Well done. That is good, actually. Yeah, it didn't yeah. occur to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's going up. It's £1.15 is our current cover price, but yes. it's going to be 150 for the Christmas ones. We shall find out whether it turns out to be a way of slipping a new price in under the door. <laughs> no, no, I, I remember this one. No, this okay. is just... I mean, it's only been £1.15 for a couple of issues at this point. Oh, it yeah. hasn't been that long since it went up last. These are super-sized Christmas issues. The two December issues of the year. <laughs> Thanks, STC. C creating more work for us at Christmas rather than less. Over in the middle of the control zone... Um, yeah, well, there's nothing we have. Well, they had an advert for this in a previous issue. Um, Sonic the Poster Mag number seven. Uh, out mm. now, it's Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage story plus a giant size action poster. Word is it's hot. <laughs> and uh, just below that, there is the error that I was uh, proving me correct. Yes. Who could have predicted that Sonic the Comic would have to print retractions? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. They mixed up the names of the um, two boomers whose art and crafts were shown ah. in the control zone back in issue 37. Anthony Cipinelli's Lego Tales and Michelle Irving's Embroidered Sonic. Um, they had actually put her name down as Michelle Loving. Michelle Loving. Too, and they got it Remember really Michelle Loving? Mm. But no. 
Sadly, she's not real, as I suspected. And then it just says, Tip to Boomers, write your name and address clearly in capital letters on the back of every submission. Yeah, yeah, blaming them for not writing their names clearly. So that does give us a clue that what probably happened is that Michelle Irving, she'll have written a lowercase r that curled over enough to resemble an O, and that she wrote it on Anthony Cipinelli's letter and vice versa. (laughs) Silly, silly children whose fault it is and not the editorial staff. One new entry and one new entry alone in the Sega charts. It's Urban Strike in at number one. Yeah, what? I guess I got it around this time. But still no Sonic and Knuckles. Still no Sonic and Knuckles. Chris, Chris, uh, was Sonic and Knuckles a flop? No, I can't believe it. I think we're just seeing how truly out of date the charts were. (laughs) I, no, it's been a while at this point. Why would they be you. this out of date? What's the point of charts if they're not... Well, well, hang on. Sonic and Knuckles was released in October, right? It's been out for ages now, yeah. It's only been a month. Okay, but a month! The month well, that a new Sonic game is released for the Mega Drive and it's not showed up in... No, we've had loads of charts since we started complaining about this. It must be more than a month. Six weeks maximum. That's loads! It should be in the charts by now. Well, maybe... Oh, wait. I know what it is. Mm-hmm. Every kid who wanted Sonic and Knuckles has been told you can have it for Christmas. No, I don't believe that. No? Because parents would still have to buy it early. Yeah. So it would well. still have hit the charts by now. But would they have bought it early? Is that what parents did? I don't know. Or would they have been able to rely on it not disappearing closer to the time in those days? I don't know. No, I mean, I can't believe that even if people were putting it off buying it for Christmas, that it wouldn't have impacted the charts. Anyway, mm. I'm feeling very yeah. confident that we'll see it in the charts before the end of the year. Two more <sighs> issues, two mega size so. issues to so. go. I'll bet it'll streak in there at number one with a bullet when it finally does hit. British public, I'm counting on you. Don't Three. let me down. 20 years after the fact. <laughs> Summer. The Frozen Zone. Written by Lou Stringer, art by Casanovas, colours by John M. Burns, and letters by Ellie DeVille. When the Pleasant Zone and all its inhabitants are suddenly frozen solid, Sonic and Co. investigate and are captured by the culprit, The Chiller, a deranged scientist out for revenge after being mocked by his peers over his plans for weather control technology. But the Chiller's freeze-inducing chillbots, chill guns, and chill machine are no match for the blazing heat of Sonic's super speed, and when his evil plan is defeated, Sonic convinces him his scientific smarts might be better put to use in the name of good. This is sort of a silly fun one, isn't it? It's a sort of a silly fun one, yeah. throwaway one. Part of me wants to object to the random human villain of the... Oh, human, by the way! Yes, I mean, that is, like, number one with a bullet. You have it here. This is the one instance I remembered. (laughs) This is the one I've been forewarning you all about (laughs) since we got started on this. Yeah, the chiller is a people. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> no, it's no, and I I'm not keen on it, but for the other reason, which is that to me it's just a early days of X-Men style. I'm a man and this is my gimmick. Mm. Well, I mean, the strip itself knows that that is what it is though. Like it's an odd one. It's kind of hard to pin down because it's quite comedic. Mm. It's not an out and out comedy strip, but it approaches its own premise with a very comedic tone to it it's almost like it is Lou Stringer 
having a go at stock superhero <laughs> yeah. plots like that. We meet this guy, he's got a rubbish name, the chiller, <laughs> yeah. and everything that he has invented has got chill in front of it. Yeah. He freezes Sonic solid, his robots have these guns that shoot ice, and they freeze Sonic in place, you know. And he's like, it's traditional for the villain to explain his dastardly plot to his captive, so <laughs> go ahead. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> and we have the very traditional line of, you mocked me, I'll show you, I'll show you all! You know what, you're turning me around on this, because... I think I agree with you that this is making light fun of that sort of comic. Mm. When I was reading it this time, I just thought it was one of those. And See, that's, like, mm. I think that was the vibe I got when I was younger, but I'm reading yeah. it now. And I'm, and then, like, when he is defeated, when Sonic keeps him talking long enough to vibrate his feet out of this ice he's been trapped in, and then mm. smashes up his robots, and he goes to run off, he, he runs past a sign that says, Escape Route for Defeated Villains. <laughs> oh, that's a little bit decap, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. I've got to say, I do love the... The sort of British coldness scale on his machine. Yes, that was the next thing I was going to mention, yes. <laughs> the settings on his freezing machine go from t-shirt, warm, brisk, chilly, isn't it cold? Freezing. <laughs> and then as Sonic switches the lever to t-shirt, with the chiller defeated, the chiller in Porker and Tails' as grasp goes, ah, curses! For any listeners who live in warmer climes than ours, we all get very excited when it's warm enough outside to go out in a t-shirt. We call it t-shirt weather. It's yes, rare. Yes. It hardly ever happens. <laughs> Didn't even feel compelled to explain that because it made, you know, so inherently yeah. made so much yeah, sense to me. Then as Sonic flips the switch to that setting, the chiller in being held by Tails and Porker says, bah! Curses! Foil! It's a fair cop, governor! Etc. <laughs> so, the story's definitely having fun with it. Do you know what I think that it is that kind of gets in the way of that? It's the art. Yeah. And it's lovely work from Casanovas. In fact, oh, I'd great. say it's some of his best Sonic artwork yet. Yeah. The characters and everything. Um, mm -hmm. Although he does, like, still draw tales with that hangy open in mouth most of the time. <laughs> but, um... But no, the characters all look good, and the themes of the story really play to his strength. He's absolutely beautiful glaciers, and oh. and and look at look at the the frozen people, the robots coming smashing through the ice. Let me talk about the first panel. It's bananas. Like imagine. So as you know, reader, the format of STC was a bit bigger, but certainly a bit wider than the American-style comic. So imagine a magazine shape, and more than half of the left-hand side of the page is devoted to the first panel. It's one of those top-to-bottom panels with a couple of, you know, smaller ones on the side. And it's so many layers of, yeah. like, distance. They're, the characters are just kind of in the middle, but they're walking on an ice bridge that curls off into the distance, and you can see some, like, pointy-uppy glaciery stuff on this curly ice bridge in the distance, but also... You can see it go down, curl round under itself, and lead to an entire town that's drawn there, like underneath Sonic and Friends up on the bridge. It's just beautiful. It's absolutely great. It's very frozen. You know, it's like you're looking at the big ice bridge from Arendelle or something, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's got that fairy tale quality about it, which we've, you know, pointed out mm. in Casanovas's art before. And same when he thaws the place. There oh, gosh, yes. Lovely town center drawing. Little asterisk smurf villages that he's yeah. drawn there. And, you know, much as we may not like him being a human, the chiller looks mm. suitably grotesquely fantastic. Well, I think that's where it starts to come in, because it's all drawn brilliantly, included the yeah. chiller. But Casanova's art style is it's one where I can imagine if you were looking at it 
before it was coloured, you'd have to focus for a moment because there's a lot mm-hmm. of little lines. He fills everything up with tiny little lines, just really filling in all the details. And what that means, so for example, on the ice is there's a lot of like little hanging icicles, like mm. you know, millions of them all over the place. And on the face of the chiller, it's so many wrinkles and hatches and cross hatches and bits of shading that like he's so gross. He's just yes. covered. He's, it's like the wrinkles are growing on his head at all times and they fill it up. And unfortunately, that doesn't mesh with the world of Sonic and it makes no. him stand out in a big way. There's nothing wrong with the art. No, no. But we've made this point about Casanovas before, yeah. I mm. mean, and he is drawing the Sonic characters pretty much, I would say, the best he has drawn them yet. Yeah. But the original contributions he has to come up with for the story still don't look like they fit in the world of Sonic. They look fantastic in and of themselves. Yeah. But then that, I think, is part of the reason that the tone of the story is getting a little lost. Because mm-hmm. he has drawn a pretty straightforward well, I don't want to call it like a pretty straightforward comic book supervillain, because he's not. No. But um, a more real-looking thing with a more serious tone to it than yes. perhaps what Stringer's script is calling for. You know, um, if yeah, if maybe. Kitching perhaps had drawn this or somebody mm. along that level, the two things would mesh a little bit. Right, so if he was more of a Frankenstein-style mad scientist. Or an animal of some kind. Or an animal of some kind. That would always help, yeah. Yeah, I think, do you know, I've never really thought about it this way before, but Casanova's, with his sort of fantasy album style, Mm. putting Sonic in that world, it's actually a step in the direction of a Satayam. I wouldn't have minded seeing him do some Archie. I think he'd have been good at it. Probably would have been a good mix for you. Notice how he's still drawing uh, Porker and Johnny to slightly outdated models here. Yeah, they don't Porker's... have shoes, and Porker's still got trotters. He's got trotters, but it both ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, well, <laughs> I mean, it, it reminds seeing them like that reminds me again. I actually kind of, I think I prefer them this way, to be honest. Without shoes on. I mean, not in a not in the same way as that lad <laughs> from Speed Lanes. From, <laughs> I was going to say, you're, you're, to you're joining the niche of uh, STC readers who like things that way. No, it's just it makes them look less like people with animal heads. I think that's my main takeaway from the strip is sort of that it's shooting for quite a sort of a silly take on a traditional one-shot supervillain mad scientist comic book stock plot. Mm. And the art is sort of at odds with the tone the script wants to take. Mm. Fun enough to read, and it's beautiful to look at, but the point where they come together, it's somehow a bit less than the sum of its parts. Also, Sonic is a bit overly mean in it, don't you think? Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. Stringer's not quite there mm. yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, this yeah. is only, what, his third issue? Is it? Oh, it can't be, can it? Two Metamorphias and this. Oh, right. Oh, well, that's all right then, isn't it? It's, it just kind of seems like such a long time now. Oh, and of course, that was all before all of this... Yeah, Sonic yeah, 3 stuff we've just Met- Metamorphia was what, 31 and 32? Yeah. And then Knuckles has been 33 through to 38? Speaking of all of which, Abby has told me that it was around here that she actually originally gave up and stopped buying STC for a little while. And I think it was because after the soaring heights of the Sonic 3 stuff, to see it suddenly just return to essentially what you might call normal. Japery. Yeah, that made her just sort of go, oh, I can't be bothered then, and she actually quit. Not for long, she came crawling sure. back very quickly. But I uh, mean, I know, as a kid, I thought the same thing. Mm. I don't think there's a kid going who didn't, honestly, mm-hmm. because when we were having these, we'll call them the epics, you know, yeah. the, the tentpole storylines, the big adaptations of the comics, 
following through on the themes and ideas that have essentially been in place since since Kitching's takeover of the comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to then just return to done in one tips. Mm-hmm. Now, as an adult, I am coming at this from an angle where I'm much more appreciative of the craft involved yeah. in telling the stories and the art than yeah. I was as a kid. So I'm trying not to be like that. Yes. But I, I don't think there was a kid who read this alive who didn't, honestly. And I mean, I don't think it's so much a, a thing anymore, but certainly back in the day, I, I feel like having a lower opinion of Lou Stringer was pretty common simply because he did the funnier, jokier stories versus the Elson and Kitching epics. Yeah, we all got a bit snooty about it, didn't we, really? But, I mean, you think back to whatever, 10 issues ago nearly, whenever we had the first Stringer strips and how fantastic those yeah. first two Metamorphia stories are yeah. on a craft level. He really knows how to do it. You know, it, it's a tonal shift. Basically, it's not Lou's fault that there is this tonal shift between these epic stories, which is what we ended up, like, because, you know, we were reading this comic and that was the direction they went in. That was the direction we went in. We were taken in that direction and we went, yes, that's what STC is. And then for it to break off and be like... Well, now we'll have a one-off jokey sort of parody of a different kind of comic. And I get this with all sorts of stuff. I think I've even mentioned it on this show before, that the amount that I was chucked out of the really good 2002 or 3 Ninja Turtles cartoon, the, the first reboot they did, where the first sort of three or four episodes were these epic scene setting things they took three episodes to get to the Turtles origin, all of this, and then suddenly they dumped me in one where it's a pastiche of superhero comics and Michelangelo's into the Silver Sentry and meets the Silver Sentry and it breaks the reality of the comic but the cartoon, but it doesn't matter because it's just jokes. I was so cross about that. But that's based on the original comics in and of themselves. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. You know. It's just that it was an example of a tone shift from we're telling this story to and now this other thing that isn't part of that. I tend to be a bit more forgiving of it when it's an an adventure cartoon, you know, Mm -hmm. one episode every week or something, wherever, you know, individual episodes can be written by a gamut of different writers versus a comic where there are basically two writers and you can point at the one guy who's not doing the thing that you as a kid (laughs) were, were here for, you know? I mean, the funny thing to me is, so we've had this happen twice now. We've had our Sonic CD adaptation, our three-issue lull in the middle for some japery. We've had our big Sonic 3 adaptation. Now we're having our little drop-off again. And in both of those instances, the first issue after the story ended was a kitching one. It was a stinker. And then Stringer (laughs) came in and has done some good ones. We had the Sentinel, and then the two Metamorphia ones. Then we've just had Sonic No More, and that we've got this one, which is much better than Sonic No More. Oh, wait, I didn't even think of this before. Both of them pastiches of, like, cape comics, in a way. Yeah, we didn't really... I feel like we didn't flag up on the Sonic No More episode. Obviously, the, the title of that is a reference to Spider-Man No More. Yes. So it was doing a whole a hero loses powers thing. Even though, like, Spider-Man No More isn't actually about Spider-Man yeah, losing powers. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it was riffing on it very directly, yeah. Yeah, it entered the language, didn't it? Yeah. But yes, so Sonic, as we were about to say before we got sidetracked... <laughs> little bit too mean here and there, you know. I mean, uh, part of it is putting especially stupid words in Tails' mouth, mm-hmm. though, at the same time. Like, when they arrive in the Frozen Zone, Tails says, I wish I had a fake fur coat to keep me warm. And Sonic says, you're wearing a real fur coat, marble brain. 
And I let that one go. That seems like traditional banter between those two guys. But the literal next <laughs> two lines of dialogue are Tails going, look at the size of these ice lollies when he sees the frozen inhabitants of the zoo. Yeah. And Sonic then says, your tails obviously outnumber your brain cells, demo. Demo. <laughs> demo. That's so British. <laughs> but yeah, um, that like two back to back like that was too much. And also... Yeah, it made Tails look... It's about putting especially dumb... Yeah. Turns out I have less tolerance for dumb stuff being put in Tails' mouth mm. on a regular basis than I do wimpy stuff. <laughs> you know, I was I was like... We were one page in and I was like, oh, no, mm, not sure about this. <laughs> Versus, you know, the, uh, the Isles stuff where it, it'll at least take a page or two before it'll really annoy me. <laughs> So yeah, Stringer's still feeling out the character interactions, exactly. In fact, you know, when you think about it, how his three stories, although the Metamorphia ones, Sonic's attitude felt more justified in them because mm -hmm. of what he was going through in them, what he was being put through. Those are, that's the first three Stringer stories then are characterized by a slightly off, Yeah. you know, like his set of scales is weighted a little too far on one side off the back of those first two Sonic stories. Yeah. He's got kind of a harsher tone in his voice after those Metamorphia stories that um, I think he'll probably work his way out of. I, I can't be sure, but we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the robot designs, though. Again, they're not mm. very Sonic-y robots, but they look like something out of a British cartoon, to be honest. Yes, they're something-y robots. I can't quite yeah. place what. They're very familiar to me. Maybe I'm just thinking of other Casanova stuff, but... Not sure. I suppose I must be thinking a bit 2000 AD. But I don't know, there's something familiar. Look, there's something British cartoonish about them specifically, I'm not sure. Wouldn't seem massively out of place for Danger Mouse to be going up no, against a slightly right. less detailed version of one of these guys. Like, the first one that they made is, um, Duh, I didn't freeze everything, this gun did. And it turns out that one's just a, a prototype. So when they actually go into the chiller's base, they've got three. They don't talk at all, the three finished, much tougher ones. Hmm. I'll tell you one thing that did, uh, you probably caught this one too, where Sonic um, does his thing, he smashes the robot, runs into it, yeah. and smashes it to bits, does the same thing to the tougher non-prototype ones and just bounces off. Oh yeah. yeah. Then when he gets free of the ice that he gets frozen in after the chiller does his big explain the plan thing, he runs into them again and it works this time. And he says, I thought my supersonic spin would do the trick. And I'm so what were you doing before when you <laughs> bodily threw yourself against the robot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. And Casanovas hasn't really drawn him doing a spin anyway. No, it's the least supersonic spinny looking <laughs> action of the various yeah. robot destructions in the strip, in fact. <laughs> he's, just, he's just having a little jog over them and they're exploding. Yeah. Oh well. Oh well, eh? Bit of a laugh. Yeah. Not a bad one altogether. It's yeah. just a little bit less than the sum of its parts, I think, to me. Yeah. But not a bad one. No. Refuso! Refuso! Enter the zone that brings you reviews of all the new releases for the Sega Game Systems. We've got two games this time. It's a double-page spread. We never read that box out, do we? No, it just occurred to me. I just saw it. There's, There's a little box in the top right next to the review zone title masthead and we never read that out yeah. and because we never read it out i don't even know if it says the same thing every time or not probably probably but this is the box in which it tells us who is writing the reviews review hmm. this issue david gibbon we've only had david gibbon for quite a while now haven't we a few issues yeah yeah the last couple anyway two games this time one per page 
still got the massive, massive font going on, so it's at least a temporary mm. design decision, perhaps to reduce the amount of copy they require. The amount of copy they have to pay for, who knows. <laughs> but it's Bubsy 2, which is coming out for the Mega Drive, and it's Sylvester and Tweety Pie in KG Capers, also for the Mega Drive. Two platformers, both of them attempting to look cartoony. In Fair Verona, where we lay our scene. I mean, I never played any of them, did you? No, I never played either of these. I looked them up for this. Played the first Bubsy, that was enough for me. I'm not even sure I played that, except maybe briefly round a friend's house once or something. Really, there's not much to say, because the Bubsy thing... The Bubsy review is just telling you it's a game, essentially. You can go in levels in this. That Dave Gibbon formula we have observed before, where he just describes the game for a couple of paragraphs and then offers an opinion at the end, which is that it is too easy to lose a life. That's his big takeaway mm. from Bubsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my takeaway is that the is some of the names, the uh, bad guys in it, seem to be called uh, Dr. V. Reality, <laughs> okay, and Oinker P. Ham. I, I feel like, at least with Oinker P. Ham, there's no illustration of what he looks like here, but you can imagine what he looks like. <laughs> He's got to have something to do with that pig-like blimp on the picture on the right, surely. Yes, there's a blimp with a big horrible pig face on it, but I don't... I, well, I suppose that could be... Oinka P. Ham himself. Maybe he's a giant <laughs> blimp. <laughs> Probably not, though. <laughs> no. Um, and uh, David Gibbon flags up the names of Bubsy's niece and nephew that presumably need to be rescued. Uh, they're just called Terry and Terry. Terry with an I and Terry with a Y. Uh, so there's not much to draw from this. And then the other one. It's, uh, now, something to bring up here. Sylvester and Tweety Pie in KG Capers. I've had messages. Previous times we've mentioned what is presumably this game. Is it this that's been advertised in those... Yeah, they, they, this must be the one they've Vertical columns, yeah. yeah. And I've always talked about it as being a Sylvester and Tweety Pie advert. And this was flagged up by someone who asked who on earth I was talking about when I said Tweety Pie. And did I mean Tweety? And uh, a little conversation was had about this, hmm. and um, it emerged that, yes, he was called Tweety Pie. Of course he was. No argument for me whatsoever. Absolutely, yes. But that, just culturally, he was kind of more called Tweety Pie in the UK than he was in America, or yeah. Canada, where he was generally just known as Tweety. Surely the title cards of the cartoons must have called him Sylvester and Tweety Pie, though. Did they? I don't know. I haven't. I don't know. I no, I don't know. I'm saying surely, but no, I am. Yeah. No, I'm but not then sure. again, you know, we're older than most people, and so. Just in general. Yeah, so we were still kids when. <laughs> these were on telly. Well. Regularly. When these stopped being on telly to be replaced by the Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries, which presumably yeah, didn't yeah. say pie in the title. And if that's what established oh, that's a precedent. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of a cadence thing for a title, yeah. But what I know is that older people, even than us, of our parents' generation, I think they associate Tweety Pie the most with, like, a record that came out. I am a little tiny bird, my name is Tweety Pie. I live inside my birdcage, hanging way up high. It does say my name is Tweety Pie right at the start, so that will have been played on you know, that Junior Choice radio show or whatever, and they'll have heard it there. Well, because the name is a riff on the idea of Sweetie Pie, but said with Tweety's yeah. affectation. I taught, I taught, put it down, my name is Tweety Pie. Yeah, which is presumably why Tweety has that affectation. So, yeah, it would appear that that is a thing, that just culturally, a record took off here that didn't in America, and so the pie bit... It's, it's not that it's not there. No, it's, yeah, just culturally. 
Just casually in cultural conversation. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, the opening paragraph of this review... Yeah, yeah, you spotted it too, right? <laughs> well, there's a couple of things in it. The first was simply the opening phrase, At last, Time Warner have brought Sylvester and Treaty Pie to life on the Mega Drive. Like yeah, we, we were all waiting for that. <laughs> we have been clamouring, climbing the walls waiting for that. But then, playing the part of the lunatic cat, the idea is to chase the bird and catch her for mm. breakfast. That's another one of those common cultural misconceptions. Isn't though. it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That Tweety is a girl. A lot of people Tweety think that... is in, a boy. In the same way that a lot of people think that Tails was a girl. Yeah, but that's a little stranger. The, well, this is particularly strange in a review of this game, because when I called it up on YouTube in a long play video, the start of every level says, catch him. Yeah, I saw that. I did the same thing to <laughs> check. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually reminds me... Yeah. I did that, and the game is called Sylvester and Tweety on the title screen. <laughs> so the Tweety Pie thing really is a case, right. of a cultural case, of an English copywriter huh. mentally adding the pie. <laughs> mentally adding the pie. <laughs> huh. That's the bing, sound the episode title gong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I'm doing a little Google image search now. To find out if it wasn't called and Tweety Pie on the Mega Drive. No, no, I've got the, no, it was got the not. case up here. It was not. No. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> this is Mickey and Donald all over again, isn't it? When they mean World of Illusion. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he's very complimentary of the game otherwise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Seems to like Excessively it. so, I think, to be honest. To say uh, yeah. the graphics can fool you into think you're really watching a cartoon. No, I, I looked at it on YouTube. No, but it still looked nice. Yeah, yes. what he means is that they've made some attempts to like... So, for example, when you pick up an object, instead of simply just like the same sprite, but now you've got an object in front, Sylvester will go up on tiptoes and grin at the camera. Do that little, yeah, cartoon hunch. Yeah, diggy 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 kind of all, uh, things like that. They've put stuff in like that. But the reason that stands out as a weird thing to flag up is that no more so really than Bubsy 2. Yeah, probably. Which does exactly the same act. These are two quite similar games. These are two games that are bog-standard platformers trying to look like cartoons. Probably the thing about Sylvester is that when it does it in the game, you recognise it yes. from the cartoons. Mm. You're reluctant mm. to use the word iconic, but... <laughs> Well, it kind of is, you know, the visual language of Looney Tunes cartoons. And they've, yeah, yes, and points to the graphics team here, because they did Mm. match those quite well. They spotted them and they used them, so. Like the example he gives here, sound effects which tie in with the on-screen action, including piano notes increasing in pitch as you walk up a staircase, you know. Yes! That's good. The whole soundtrack to this game is really interesting, because it's, it does sound like cartoon background music it's rather than video game background music and i've only seen that done one other time and it didn't seem to be for any purpose which was the mega drive smurfs game the music to which was a really strange like semi-symphonic sort of it just it ebbs and flows and does all sorts of not catchy incidental music stuff to the point where i started looking up incidental music in smurfs cartoons to see if it was directly copied from that and it doesn't seem to be well here they've done it for a reason they are making it feel as if you are watching a looney tunes cartoon to a certain degree i mean it still just looks like a bog standard platform I did have a chuckle at the graves in the raves and graves in the box easy to play possible to complete within a week or two oh (laughs) We'd be happy if a game lasted us a week these days. Eternal Champions 
Larson's Revenge, Part 4, written by Michael Cook, art by John Hard, and letters by Tom Frim. Tagliani ties up Larson and Shadow and puts them in a car, which is then sent barreling towards the building Shadow used as her White Orchid headquarters. The crash will kill them and blow up the building, incinerating the incriminating documents inside. Fortunately, the pair escape before the car crashes, and though the building goes up, Larson reveals that he has the documents safe and sound, having stolen them on his previous visit. Organized crime's hold on Chicago will soon be broken, but the eternal champion's fight across time will go on. Again spelled wrong. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing, Larson, L-A-R-S-O-N, mm. instead of L-A-R-C-E-N, for yeah. all four parts. This is the fourth and final part of Eternal Champions, mm -hmm. and I don't know that I have much to say about it, to be honest. That's a shame, yes, because I don't have anything to say. It's not bad or anything. No. Not bad at all. It's just that, you know, a lot of real estate is given over to properly explaining the things that we had actually concluded and gone through in last issue's episode. That's it, yeah. The, the twist yeah. came in the second to last episode and now we're doing a wrap-up piece, as it were. The one bit I do like is whenever the car is careening down the cliff and Larson freaks out. Ah, yeah. I do like this bit a lot. He thinks it's his destiny to be killed over and over again yeah. by the same man, that it's an inescapable fact of his life. It's happened to him once, it's going to happen to him again. It's just what he's fated to. And Shadow uses her fans to get them cut out of the bonds and everything and says, We are eternal champions. We make our own destiny. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. That's cool. like that. That's good. It's No, it is quite an affecting moment because you have this monologue from him in his mind about how, like, he spent years being a cat I'm scared of nothing, heights, drops, falls, I could handle anything. And then here he is, tied up, can't move, in the back of a car, it's obviously about to careen off a cliff into the sea or something. Into the building. Yeah, it's very final, he's about to be killed, and he does get really scared, and that's just, that's a cool moment to allow a sort of a grizzled hero to have. Like a panic attack, you know. It's happening again, Shadow. He killed me once, and he's going to do it again. And Shadow says, The eternal champion has given each of us a precious gift, a second chance at life. We must not give up. And she says, to reach her razor fans, tucked in the back of her belt, and be able to cut themselves free. And he's, I can't get to it. We're finished. He's just totally lost it. You know, yeah. he's, uh, Tagliani's beaten me again. It's destiny. He says the idea that he's fated to be killed over and over again by this man and it's mm, that's good that i like good. that a lot yeah though mind you it's a little weird when you keep getting these reminders that larson was in fact a dirty thief mm. and not like the grizzled pi hero of this noir story <laughs> yeah he says to mr tagliani it never should have come to this i could have kept working for you if you hadn't yeah. asked me to kill oh yeah you could have could you oh yeah you're a real nice guy <laughs> yeah it's a nuance that's welcome in this sort of thing, I think. Because it reminds me of the earlier days of STC, where they were like, ah, I don't know who this is for, so let's put some stuff for the really old kids in. And that's kind of what this feels like. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. They get out of car, car crashes into building, building goes up in flames, and uh, the papers that Shadow had amassed, the dossiers on organised crime that we learned about uh, before, the papers that Tagliani had sent Larson to kill. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tagliani spells it all out. It was either Orchid would catch him in the act and kill him, Tagliani wins, job done, Larson, old thorn in his side, is disposed of, or... Larson gets the papers, comes out, Tagliani gets the papers, that means White Orchid has no dirt on him, and then he'll just kill Larson when he hands the papers over. Yeah. You know, it's a good plan. Yeah. And in the event that Orchid doesn't kill Larson and gets out, he's ratted her out to the cops at the meeting they were supposed to have at the quarry back in uh, Chapter 2. 
And that's why the cops showed up there. So yeah, all the pieces come together yeah, quite neatly. I'm really glad that it did. I'm, yeah. I'm so glad that this, what did genuinely perplex us as a puzzly mystery, yeah. actually makes perfect sense once you know what it is. That's some good writing. I, I know that that's very basic and you should be able to expect that, but I think sometimes you can't. Yeah, sometimes. And here we could. The payoff at the end, then, is, yeah, Larson, it turns out, actually stole the files while he was there after all. And Shadow, and I love this, mm-hmm. such a typically completely unflappable character, mm. is gobsmacked. Yeah. What? Yeah, I, w- I was there. They were locked away. Trade secrets. I told you. I'm the best. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's pretty good, too. Like, Larson gets in that final little win moment as well. Like, Shadow's had her big hero moment as well. When mm. She's the one who tells Larson to catch himself on, pull himself together, and she's the one who cuts them free. And, I mean, this bit here where they uh, they uh, hook arms and brace each other and then kick the door yeah. off the car. Like, that, that, that's good, yeah. But then Larson gets in this little almost comedic final beat. And then, uh, yeah, the story ends with Shadow telling him, come, we are needed in the future. But sadly... There would be no more no. Eternal Champion strips. No great surprise, given the legacy of the games, as it were. But, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a shame because this is a great team-up of two characters you wouldn't think would be a great team-up. There are other character combos that they could have run this for absolutely ages on. But yeah. it seems like John Howard knew that he wasn't going to be drawing this again because he does give us a near full 360-degree rotational view of the whole of Shadow's arse just before we go. <laughs> Yep, it sort of does happen, doesn't it? As, as the car is sort of trundling down the... Yeah, well, now, like... now, to be clear, listeners, when I say the whole of Shadow's ass, what I mean is <laughs> the, entirety. the entirety of it. <laughs> and it's a crude beat to end on, but I genuinely don't know if we have any more to say about Eternal Champions. I have enjoyed the two strips mm. we've had. As you say, I would have liked to see more. I think I'm even more aware of that now as an adult seeing the, the decisions that were made and the critically unpacking the strip and the whole concept behind it and the character relations and I mean not to pull up an old comparison point but having not at the time read but having since read Chris Claremont's X-Men and seeing all the common DNA and the way the character relationships work and everything and um, yeah I would have liked to see more of it but twas not to be So this is, um, it's another one of them news zones, Dave. I don't yeah. know if you did any looking into I this one. I did a bit, but... I did a bit. Yeah. What we have here is a load of different games, the majority of which seem to fall into the same category, which is, we've got CD technology now and we're expected mm. to make games for it. For some reason, we're not putting really good game-making teams on them, we're just putting budgets on them. And so they've yeah. made, they've like done a lot of filming and a very small amount of game making. The first section here deals with new games coming from Rocket Science, mm. the world's first, and I quote, digital supergroup. <laughs> <laughs> this opening, Jurassic Park, <gasps> Aliens, <gasps> Terminator 2, oh. Robocop 2, oh. The Hunt for Red October, um. Star Trek 6, yes. The Rocketeer. Just a few of the great special effects movies of recent years. Could have stopped after the first three there, if I'm honest with you, man. But just... <laughs> the Hunt for Red October? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've never seen it. Neither but... have I, so this is why I'm hesitating, but I wasn't under the impression that it was a big special effects movie. Yeah, not exactly up there next to Jurassic Park. No, isn't it some guys in a sub looking for a sub? 
Looking for Red October? Yeah. <laughs> what, what is Red October? Is that another song? In a sense, aren't we all just I know. looking for Red October? Aren't we all just a few of the great special effects movies of recent years? <laughs> <laughs> but what if some of the people responsible for those visual effects got together with computer graphics experts and went into the video games business? It sounds mm-hmm. enticing. Back in 1994. Sounds gimmicky now, but... This is about two games... Lodestar, The Legend of Tully Bodine, <laughs> yes. and Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, The Second Cataclysm. Yes. Now, I went and found out a little bit about both of these things, particularly yes. Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, because I recognised mm. the name. It was a cartoon around the same time. This was what I thought. Maybe a few years later. Well, they were both based on a comic called Xenozoic Tales, yeah. some of which was printed as a whack-up strip in the UK Jurassic Park comic. All right. Yes, and it seems to be post-apocalypse, people have got Cadillacs with guns on and dinosaurs are running about or something. Yes, I don't actually know the um, mechanics behind no. it. I don't know why there are dinosaurs again in the future. I don't know if it was science or God. <laughs> so, Tully Bodine, then. Uh, this is the epitome of what I'm talking about. There's a film of, like, a guy coming home to a bar and all the people in the bar going... Tully Bodine! Norm! Where you been, Tully? Tully? Hey, long time. Long, long time. Ratback, Baxter. What'll it be? Tully. Oh, <laughs> nails. Good to see you, Iron Dog. What brings you to the backside of Alcatraz? Big money. What else? Know any? <laughs> if I did, I wouldn't tell you, you bastard. <laughs> well, yeah. Some of them are like, oh, you big bastard. <laughs> but they but they seem to quite like him still. And some of them are going like, you friend of mine. Um, and they're all greeting him in different ways. And he's like, oh, yes, I'm on the trail of some big payout. Uh, big pay dirt. And anyway, it, this film goes on and on and on. And there's all shots of spaceships and things. It's all a little bit kind of Babylon 5. And then mm. what it comes down to is you're just going to be driving a truck down a corridor and moving a reticule around and shooting stuff. Yeah, it's an on-rail shooter Yeah, Yeah, in between the movie. It seems the most notable thing about the whole thing is that it's mentioned here. Mm. Tully is being pursued by his old enemy, Sheriff Wampler. And Mm. Sheriff Wampler was played by Ned Beatty. Right, who's that then? I mean, I guess nerds would know him best as Otis from the Superman films. Oh, right. Which one's... Otis Berg! Which one's Otis from the Superman films? Luthor's henchman. Uh, Hey, Mr. Luthor, it was just a little place. (laughs) Otis Berg! Oh, yeah, looking at him, I do recognise his face. Other things like Deliverance or... um, What else is he in? All the President's Men. He's one of those... Character oh, I know. Oh, I know. he was he was lots of bad in Toy Bear. Story three. <laughs> yeah, he was good in that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the kind of actor he was. So he was in uh, he was in this. But um, do you know who's more famous than him that was involved in <laughs> both of these games? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, you do. You looked it up. Yeah. Weird. Elon Musk was one of the programmers for both of these games. Elon. Elon flipping Musk, and there can't have been many programmers on these things to look at them. They're not very good. So uh, the ledger of uh, good deeds that Elon has done for the world remains at exactly whatever position you previously had it at. (laughs) Very, very diplomatic. Well done, Dave. I was not. I did not think that's what you were going to say. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, apparently Elon coded these games and they're both they're both the same the other one the dinosaurs one as well same exact sort of game you're just in a car going down a corridor with a little sights and you're just shooting things as they come along and that's all the game is 
But what entertained me about it when I looked it up was that the start of the game begins with a warning that goes as follows. The story you are about to see contains scenes in which the characters are riding in a car without seatbelts. <laughs> this is not advisable. <laughs> You know, that's one of those things that you see even today, even, you know, right now today that you see it in uh, cartoons and things like that. And it does pull me out of it, you know, <laughs> like I understand, but it seems like so overdone sometimes wherever people will throw themselves into a vehicle to get away yeah. from somewhere and drive breakneck, but they'll always take the time <laughs> to put the seatbelt on or, you know, superheroes or aliens will fly their cruisers from their massive, huge alien seats that are upside down for their backwards knees and their <laughs> forearms to work their control board. But they'll always put the seatbelt <laughs> <Yes>. on. <laughs> it's like, obviously it's one of those BS and P things, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it really distracts me sometimes when I notice it. Now I'll always notice it, damn it. <laughs> this flipping came true already in the time between recording this and putting it out. We were watching, uh, well, I th we were watching Batman Forever, and I think that was what this was in. Anyone who's familiar with Batman Forever, let me know if I'm right that this is what it was in. We were watching something the other day, anyway. They get in, I'm going to say the Batmobile, they get in a car, and as it peels off into the distance, an obviously ADR overdubbed voice of one of the two people in the car says, Seatbelts! As it peels off into the distance, you know, rocket nozzle, blaring purple fire or whatever. There's no way it could be more obvious that whatever it was I was watching, that was put in afterwards. Presumably because they'd been told that they have to show that they're wearing seatbelts somehow. I think it was Batman forever. We also watched The Mask, maybe it was that. And then with Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, again, you've got lots of like, quote unquote film, although in the case of that one, it's very obviously like, either meant to look like, or actually is, scans of comic panels. In fact, what it looks mm. exactly like was the CD-ROM of the first trade of The Mask that I bought around about the sort of Windows 95 era, so not long after The Mask Remember film. Remember when that was a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comics on CD. Yeah, well, and I only knew, you know, The Mask from the film, so I got this CD-ROM. Mm. And what it did was it, it let Whoops. you either just read the comic as a comic, or it did it as a presentation. It was voiced and mm. had sound effects and things. Ooh. And it was very Jack and Ori, like they would have a, like if there was a picture of the mask who'd set a fire or something, then they would have taken the fire and it would cycle through different colours to make it look like it was ablaze. Stuff like that. Yeah, I got you. And that's Motion what comics, they were hot back in mm. the late 90s. And it had a theme tune. It was like, the mask, the mask, the mask. He is bad. He will get you. The mask, the mask. It was uh, it was awful. Um, Were those the real lyrics? or <laughs> No, but they weren't far off. I bet the rhythm was right. Oh, yeah. It's my mask and it won't fit you. Don't be naughty or I'll get you. But hey, to have to hit ya. So you think that you've been had? Feels so good to be so bad. I ain't crazy, but I'm mad. Anyway, these are both coming out for the Mega CD. And then the next section here is just more about the Mega CD. Mm -hmm. Mega CD in a spin, and it lists a bunch of games from Core Design, Argonaut Software, Cyber Dreams, and Domark. And Dave. Hello. Here we have the situation. We've been here before. Almost none of these bloody games came out. I did. Almost none. So much Googling for every version of 
Gary Gygax Hunters of Ralk that I possibly nope. could. Not only did it not come out, n- like, no one's even heard of the fact that it was in production at all and didn't come out. There's yeah. one hit anywhere on the internet. From Core Design, Machine Head, or Blam Machine Head, <laughs> as it wound up being called in the end, and Shell Shock a tank combat simulation. All of these things are listed as coming for the Mega City. Those two would wind up coming out on the Saturn. Mm. They also list Tee Off, a virtual golf simulation, came out under the name Virtual Golf (laughs) on the Saturn. (laughs) Then from Argonaut Software, we have Creature Shock, which wound up coming out just on PC and 3DO and was later ported to the Saturn. 3DO. That's what all these games are like. These are 3DO as hell, all these games. Then from Cyber Dreams, we've got Dark Seed 2. Here, Mike, this will explain everything. Which only came out on computers and then again was later ported to the Saturn. I have no mouth and I must scream, based on the Harlan Ellison story. Hate. Let me tell you how much I've come to hate you since I began to live. Just came out on computers. Mm -hmm. And lastly, Hunters of Ralk, a role-playing adventure game featuring a fresh fantasy universe from the imagination of Gary Gygax, the man who invented advanced Dungeons & Dragons, not just the regular version, they went so far as to say advanced, it just didn't happen. It never happened. Didn't mm. happen anywhere, anyhow. Never happened. <laughs> Cyber Dreams claims the game uses a new role-playing system designed specifically for the CD-ROM-based machines and not converted from a board game. Woo-hoo. Just imagine, if that had come out, maybe that's what everyone would be doing podcasts about playing yeah. now on the internet. Yeah, nobody care about Baldur's Gate. It would all be about Hunters of Rock. And the, the weird thing is, that for the fact that this is so hard to find any information about, as if it never happened at all, there's a, not a screenshot, but there's an art insert here. There's a render. There's a yeah. render of a man, just your basic man with, you know, basically nothing on except spiky shoulder pads, that kind of man. Yeah. So apparently they got, they got as far as commissioning someone to make generic D&D looking figure. <laughs> and that's it. That's Hunters of Relk. I love it whenever we find, there's very, very few instances of them, but we do stumble across these things that mm. basically, like, only Sonic the comic is the last yes. living document evidence that they existed. It's like the pre-production art for the Deke cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Nowhere else will you find that. <laughs> and then finally they score a hit, uh, or at least I assume they do, with the announcement that mm. Theme Park and Syndicate are coming to Mega CD. They must have. They did both come ah. to the Mega CD, yes, Phew. that did happen. That would have been weird if they hadn't. And then down in the short bursts... <laughs> Yeah, it's the same story. These all came out again. To my surprise, <laughs> because uh, Red Zone, that's out now already for the Mega, that's for the Mega Drive. Fans of Sequest DSV <laughs> can look forward to a new series on the telly, but a game from Mega Drive. And I was like, well, that surely didn't happen. Yeah. Turns out it came out on the Mega Drive and the SNES. This one took place. It happened. A similar event took place. It happened. It's fact. A similar event did take place. And then the last item, a release date and price for the long-awaited Mega CD conversion of Delphine's flashback still has to be announced. And I'm like, well, obviously it must <laughs> never have happened. Oh, and it did. Oh. It came out on the Mega CD. Oh. They snuck them all in at the end. The least likely sounding ones at the end <laughs> were the ones that actually came out. Just We've got two full-page adverts here. Yeah, we don't often get, like... Two full-page side-to-side adverts. Just looking at it is kind of weird somehow. It's, yeah. it's like I've just accidentally opened a catalogue or something. Like we would get double-page yeah. spreads. And I'm sure there have been some ones where at least one of the two 
pages would be half and half. Yeah. Either top or bottom or side to side. Yeah. But no, two facing full page adverts. That's weird. Yeah. yeah, and the one on the left is for Mickey Mania Grips the Nation. It's the get, and it, they don't really specify, but what they mean is there's a game coming out called Mickey Mania. Yeah. And the picture for it is basically a clip of what I assume is Beatlemania. Girls yes, yes, women screaming over the Beatles. Must be Beatles. There's nothing specific to tell us it's Beatles, but it must be. No, but it's Beatlemania was a thing, so that's what they're riffing and on. And then Mickey doing a combination of swinging in on a rope and bursting through the page with a sort of... <laughs> is that what it's supposed <laughs> well, to be? Well, it's got a sort of I mean, torn it, it sort outline, of looks like it? it, but yeah, yeah, it's got, yeah, it's got that torn... Yeah, yeah. it's a bit half-arsed, mm, but mm. it's a perfectly good drawing of Mickey, though, oh, presumably yeah. from the cover Lift art. The box art yeah. And a quote from <laughs> Dominic Diamond, whose pull quote here is... Better looking than my girlfriend. Good old Dominic Diamond. Yeah, that sounds like something Dominic Diamond would have said in the 90s, alright. Doesn't it? Never played Mickey Mania. Did you ever play Mickey Mania? Yes, I think my cousin brought it round or something, and it was, um, I remember being quite impressed because the first level is set in Steamboat Willie, and they actually do a kind of flickery, it's all black and white, they do a flickery effect, hair coming up onto the screen and stuff, getting trapped on the film and stuff like that, and then it settles down and the film grain goes away as you start the level. It's a really good little effect. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then, the facing page is uh, not so much an advert, really. Yeah, it's a page telling you to get an annual subscription to STC. We haven't had this no, before, have we? So. Not this ad, obviously, but I don't think they've even made subscriptions available anymore. I don't yeah. think so. It says, attention gift givers, don't rack your brains for ideas. Make it a Christmas. They'll remember all year with an annual subscription to STC. I tell you what they have done. They've had little cut-out reserve your copy yeah, coupons but they were meaningless they're just a way of telling yeah. your news yeah agent. this is the first time we've been able to have the new issues mailed to our doors aren't they yeah have the number one video game comic mailed direct to a boomer of your choice each fortnight dave can you please read the first line on this coupon because there's no way i in my accent could possibly <laughs> do it justice could you please could you please okay <clears throat> I would very much like a one-year subscription, 26 issues, to Sonic the Comic. Please and thank you. <laughs> it doesn't say please and thank you, but it might as well. Uh, yeah. £31.40. It would be absolutely splendid if I could have, a, <laughs> if I could have a, an all-year subscription to my favourite comic. Positively splendid. <laughs> I enclose a cheque stroke postal order for pounds, and then you write in. Thirty-one pound. I don't know why. Why do you write that in? Because there's a box to tick that yeah, says thirty-one pound forty. Yeah. Oh no! Well, in case you wanted to buy more than one sub, right? Name, address, postcode, orders, and payments to Sonic the Comic Subscription Department, Aim Limited. Who are Aim Limited? Whoever they are, they're in the mm. Pallion Industrial Estate in Sunderland. So uh, contact them. Maybe that's where they have it printed, or that's where their warehouses are, or something. Yeah, and then there's a little telephone credit card orders box where you write in your little credit card number and expiry date, mm-hmm. and you sign it. And again, amount to be debited, and you fill that number in again, and there's a little bit of holly on it, because this is a Christmas-themed page. Yes, they've clip-arted something to yes. very quickly and crudely. Yeah, so it's, it's Sonic doing the one-arm-up-above-the-shoulder Mario-style I'm-about-to-run-off pose. Oh, so that's definitely been on one of the stickers. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Issues, yeah. But now they've managed to put him so that he's on a snowboard. And that doesn't look too bad, to no, be fair to us. quite well put on. But that, what does look quite bad mm. is that on the other side of the page is a snowman of Robotnik, which it looks like, you know, first episode of South Park, crudely cut out, yeah, essentially. Yeah. But definitely done on computers, because his nose and mouth are perfect ovals. Mm-hmm, <laughs> the, uh, the, and eyes, yeah. but they're tilted. The moustache is just sort of drawn. And for some reason, 
Why is his head that shape? I don't know. I thought you were going to focus in on the fact that they've drawn the moustache overlapping the nose instead of <laughs> the going The moustache goes over the top of the nose because yeah. they obviously just forgot and drew the nose first and they went, ah, oh, We weren't oh dealing well. with layers back then. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was, I mean, I don't know what this would have been done on. It would be vectors. Whatever you had to do vectors on in those days. And for some reason, his head is like, imagine the pointy adventure style, but also with like, Two more points? It's like a tri-pronged head. I guess the idea is that it's supposed to be like a snowman's big round head, but with lumps scooped out to make the top pointy. I don't like it. It's disgusting. So, no. Well, sorry, it's not disgusting. Sorry to whoever made that. (laughs) But also, you know what you did. (laughs) Knuckles. Carnival Night Conspiracy, Part 2. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, letters by Elita Fell. The Marxio brothers give Knuckles a tour of the casino night zone and try to win him over by pretending that they don't work for Robotnik and offering to share the zone's profits with him to help refurbish the floating island. But it's all just a ruse to get him on the zone's ghost train so that they can cause a fatal accident that'll get the red-dreaded one out of their hair for good. Knuckles! Oh, it's, just, it's just lovely to look at, isn't it? Oh, isn't it? Yeah, we've got pages and pages of drawings of Knuckles done <laughs> yeah. by Richard Elson, a man yeah. good at drawing. But also, a man good at drawing extrapolations of zones, and the Carnival Night Zone here does not disappoint. There's, there's not much, like, actual Carnival Night Zone stuff. Like, I don't know no, if he was that, looking yeah. at the Carnival Night Zone when he drew it or not, but it's completely convinced because of course it's just done up like a carnival well, stroke there theme are park. some of those um barber poles yes and sort of diamond motifs and there are balloons and there are those dangling diamonds but then it's almost like well what makes carnival night zone a carnival you know mm, yeah you know so they've had to put in a bunch of like actual carnival themed things like a big scary clown face and a burger bar and a ghost train which are not things from the games, but they are things that you get in a carnival. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I never thought of this before. But, like, what is going on with the Carnival Night Zone? What is all that? What were they Probably drawing? some of it's supposed to be, like, roller coaster tracks or something. Yeah, I'm looking at screenshots now of the Carnival Night Zone. And it's just, it's interesting to me how it's mostly just casino imagery again. But Yeah, yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. Just but sort of, like, turned up to ten instead of, you know, six, which was what it was on in the Casino Night Zone. But sort of circus tent colours and stuff as well. Yeah, almost, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so Richard has expanded it out, and Nigel has expanded it out, because it is this theme park slash carnival empire that they're trying to build here. And it's got comic. Knuckles does his punch the ground move again, which... Yeah, that's cool. Good to see that again. You would have thought we would run the risk of never seeing that again, now that Knuckles Mm, has his own powers from the games to be pulled upon. Exactly. But yeah, no, Nigel has just decided, this is a move Knuckles should have, and so does, and he is right. (laughs) Making a shockwave. Which he uses here, because he spots some of Robotnik's troopers there, and he's like, oh, I knew it, this is a Robotnik thing. So he bashes the ground, they all fall over in the shockwaves. And the Marxios are like, no, don't. This is like our obligatory action sequence almost. <laughs> yes, I suppose so, actually. we got to have, like, we got five pages, we got to get a fight in here somewhere. But, you know, well, Grouchio, obviously, as always, is the front man for the brothers, so he's just spinning all these lies, and he says that they bought the badniks off Robotnik. And I love, it sort of sums up the whole characters, where Grouchio, cigar in hand, spouting bullshit, the whole story long, you know. That's why we're cutting you in on any profits we're going to make from the Carnival Night City. 
Hey, does that mean you're going to start paying me now? Right now I get another thing. That much, Chickio. Remind me to cut your wages. <laughs> and then whenever he tells Knuckles that they just bought the Badniks and they have no other dealings with Robotnik, just in the background, there's Chickio looking scandalized. Oh, yeah, where's that? Hang on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got little, little, little shot marks pinging around his head. Yeah. Yeah. It's what? like, great you, talks the talk. Spews his lies, and Chikio just just quietly gainsaying and being scandalized by everything that he does in the background. And the Harpio sometimes honks his horn, <laughs> and he gets his foot stuck in a Trooper Badnik's knocked off bucket helmet, which is just a funny visual. Yeah, and then the whole thing ends on what to me is a really enticing prospect, which is that Knuckles is about to go on a really like advanced ghost train with like mm. you know realistic tentacles and ghosts and stuff coming out i'm hoping i get like a quite full-on halloweeny looking issue next time i can't remember if i do or not you hope that because we are now in the mouth of halloween We're ourselves right as we in the mouth. this but it'll be right in time for christmas by the time the issue comes out I know. yeah <laughs> funny timing isn't it i wonder if they had a different idea about the timing of it when it was being made mm. this very green goblin looking um cart that he's in to go on the uh, yes it is isn't it go on the haunted house dare you enter the hell house it says on a sign pointing yeah. towards the house i think it's supposed to look like a dracula but yes it's something about yes, the, I, I think the green is, and purple it's green and purple yeah. <laughs> yeah with the big nose and ears the actual ghost house is absolutely miles in the background and there's what appears to be a, just a real ghost flying around in the background as well yeah i think the idea is that they're in there and then he's come out on the track out the skull's mouth. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, so is that it? We had the whole ride now? Oh, no, no. Well, he's got to loop around and come back in, surely. So whatever is going to happen next issue while he's on the ride. Yeah. <laughs> it's odd because I can't remember it, but I can. Like, I can remember an image of ghosts, but of course I'm thinking of... You're thinking of the Sandopolis Zone. The Sandopolis Zone ghosts, which mm. do also show up later on in the series, in yeah. Sonic. So, yeah, no, I can't remember what this is going to be. Yeah, I don't actually remember how this uh, ghost story bit shakes mm. out. It's sort of like, given what we would know of what Knuckles would do in his strip over the years, it's pretty atypical, to be honest, fighting these goofy Mario Brothers parodies and riding on a ghost train and everything. <laughs> I mean, it's all rooted in STC's basic idea for Knuckles, which is that he's this standoff anti-colonial <laughs> figure who refuses to let other people on his island. And now the Marxios sucker him into going along with it with a line at every turn for every question he raises, you know. With the money you'll make from the Carnival Night Zone, you could clean up the floating island when you're waiting for your long-lost people to return. Many of these sites are ancient monuments! Of course they look old! But, on the other hand, I suppose the buildings in the Marble Garden do need a little work. At least let us show your right arm around the shoulder walking him off, you know. I, I love the Marxio brother. And Knuckles is really game, isn't he? He's like, he starts off... In any situation, being like, hey, what's this? And then someone feeds him a line. He's like, all right, I'll try it. Yeah. He's, you know, he keeps a bit of suspicion in his back pocket, but oh, I'll try. Yeah. I'll see. We were talking about this before, but like, he's not stupid. No. He's just not world-wise. Mm. And the thing is, Knuckles has never been on a ghost. He doesn't, Knuckles doesn't know what a ghost <laughs> yes. train is. He's never been on a roller coaster in his life. No wonder he'd wind up enjoying it when he's on it. Yeah, know? I yeah. love that he winds up enjoying yeah. it. That's lovely. Yeah, but also his attitude... Knuckles' personality as such is also that white knuckle rides and things that would scare you and be a way to show your toughness. Mm. 
would be the sort of thing that he would enjoy anyway, even if he was well familiar with them. They'd be his thing that he enjoyed, you know what I mean? Yeah, this is the thing. I'd love to see them come at him with skeletons and robot monsters and have him just punch them to bits in an instant. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's the other way that Knuckles on a ghost train goes is that he either understands that it's fake and enjoys himself or doesn't and thinks it's all real <laughs> goes mad and smashes and to be honest that could happen yeah. i don't remember what happens in the next issue <laughs> uh, whatever it is they're gonna come at him with something and he's gonna use his fists on it and i'm all for it and i can't wait that is probably <laughs> almost definitely what's gonna happen isn't it yeah only thing i've really got left to say is that carnival night emerges as a bit of a weird name when it's supposed to be the actual diegetic name of a city. It is a bit, isn't it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whenever you have to start taking these zone names and actually using them. Because most zones are fine. It's just every once in a while there's, you know, the casino night. It's the same for casino yeah. night, to be honest. But I'd rather have that fine for a zone. than not use any zone names at all. Yeah, I don't want them to call it the casino city or whatever you know or the casino zone mm. or anything it's the casino night zone yeah. that's its name call it what its name is yeah call it by its name mighty morphin power rangers unlock their secrets oh. with shreddy secret id oh. cards free inside special packs oh like oh like i don't wait. care about the fact it's power rangers but i'm just excited about the fact i'm getting an advert for free stuff in the cereal <laughs> i cannot wait to unlock their secrets chris there's some pictures of the cards and i'm gonna peer at it and see what their secrets are I don't even need to get the Red Ranger one because it's right here and I can find their secrets. Mm. Okay, so Jason, there's a picture of Jason looking, oh, looking ever so sad, isn't he? Look at him. Now, it seems that these cards transform or, or something. Well, it, it seems that they fold oh, yeah, in, wait a, in a certain way to... Oh, God, yeah. I can't quite figure it out from looking at it, but it seems that the idea is that part of it folds up or over mm. in some way to switch it over from a profile of the person that they are, oh. the human character, to their ranger self and their Zord. Oh, so it's meant to be like a secret. Like, this is his identity. Yeah, yeah. It's Jason. He's not a Power Ranger. Fold, fold, fold. Yes, he is. Yes, top secret, it says there. Oh, and interesting as well that they're called secret ID cards in the advert. But if you look at the picture mm. of the box, it says free inside secret ID book. Mm. Um, I don't know why. It's book shaped. It's a card that opens up. Yeah. But yes, it does seem to have... Some sort of foldy... I can't quite figure out how it works. No. But... Well, anyway, let's find out who they are. So, Jason, with his sad, pouty face. He looks ever so sad <laughs> in the photo there. Oh, look at him. Oh, Jason. The weight of the world's on your shoulders there. you got to be the Red Ranger. Protect the galaxy. Austin St. John. Yeah. Or is it Sinjin? It is sometimes, isn't it? Ooh, I don't know. Mm. That's usually for first names, though, right? Is it? I don't know. I, I learned it... Well, I learned it from Ken Penders, quite crossly informing everyone that it's pronounced Jeffrey Sinjin. <laughs> is it? Oh, no, it's not. No, it's Jeffrey St. <laughs> John, because that's somehow so much worse. <laughs> oh, Jeffrey... He's the... Jeffrey the Sinjin. so bad. Anyway, so the secret then. Let's find out Jason the Red Ranger's secret. So his name, according to this, is Jason... Oh, he must have had a surname. He did have a surname. I can't remember it offhand, but he definitely had one. No, nor I, because it's Power Rangers. I don't care. Oh, I don't get why you're so anti-Power Rangers. It was good. It wasn't good, but it was good. It wasn't good. It wasn't good, Dave. I'm glad you <laughs> slipped in there and corrected yourself. It was one of those things where, like, every moment of the actual television show was awful, but somehow 
It was great. The conceit behind it sold toys. Yeah. Born 20th of October 1977. Doesn't that make him feel old? Gosh, it really does. Yeah, even though of course he was. Like, that's that's not old. In fact, it's only a little bit older than us. Yeah. Really. <laughs> but still, it's a different digit than the third year space place. <laughs> Star sign is Libra. His birthplace was Los Angeles, California. His character is strong, honest, and liable? Reliable. <laughs> Liable. <laughs> to blame. Um, favorite food, sushi. Well, he's definitely from California. Yeah. Favorite subject, political science. Ooh. Boring bastard. I don't want any politics in my Power Rangers. <laughs> Hobbies, martial arts, and collecting videos. Yeah, good man. Me too. <laughs> One of the two, anyway. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Strictly <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> uh, but then, when you swap it around, and we get the classified data, we find... You'd be like the plaid ranger. <laughs> Cheers. What does that, what does that mean? <laughs> your, your, your plaid shirts. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so, uh, classified data. True identity. Jason. <laughs> okay, right. I mean, so this is essentially a separate file about the Red Ranger, yeah. who just coincidentally happens to be in the same book as Jason. Don't tell anybody, but... True identity, Jason, that's what it says. That's his secret yeah. identity and his true identity. Power source. Strength and boldness drawn from the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Weapon, the awesome power sword. Vehicle, the Tyrannosaurus Dinosaur. Red Ranger also pilots the Megazord when fully assembled. Mission, recruited by Zordon to save the world. That's probably all of their mission, isn't it? Leader of the Power Rangers. Wow, that's very perfunctory. Yes, I feel like there'll be a lot of um, recycled content in those Power Ranger profiles. Yeah, yeah, they might as well have put one of the Power Rangers. <laughs> right, yeah. He's a Power Ranger. So, there you go. Now you know. Now you know all of Jason's secrets you don't need to collect. But the rest of them, the other seven... So I wonder who they are then, because you've got four more rangers and then Rita... Are there, are there eight to collect? Yeah. No, there are eight... Oh, no, sorry! Vitamins and iron and shreddies. Not eight cards Beg to your collect. Pardon. There, there are, are eight... six to collect. Yes. There are eight vitamins and iron mixed in with the natural fiber <laughs> that you can get in a bowl of shreddies. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it'll be uh, the six rangers just then. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because there's only five pictured. I assume they're including the Green Ranger, but they haven't done a picture of him. Well, I mean, yeah, but that picture they've used there is a stock image. Yeah. So Green Ranger would have happened even in the UK by this oh, point. Oh, long since, yeah. Well, no, no, no not long yes. since. Don't forget, there's only 94. Power Rangers started in 93 in, in America. Oh, God, so yeah, you're right. It's about a year. I remember, in fact, I can tell you yeah. this, not that I like sharing memories of pirates, <laughs> came home from uh, wherever I'd been on holiday in summer of 94, and if my memory serves me, it was while I was away on holiday I learned that the Green Ranger existed. I must have seen, oh. seen a toy or, or, yeah. or a picture somewhere. I came home from holiday and the first episode of Power Rangers that was on on the Monday after we came back home was the first part of the, the Green Ranger multi-parter. Oh. 
Oh, cool. So I was like, oh, hey, there's that. So I assume that must have been summer 94. Mm, Must have been. So the Green Ranger would be kicking around, you know, a good couple of months at this point. But then I don't remember how Power Rangers aired in the UK. I know how it ended up airing by about 95, which was it would be Saturday mornings with interstitial bits from Mr. Motivator, who would be saying, you know, now remember, gang... The Power Rangers are trained martial arts experts, and you shouldn't copy anything they do, you hear? Yeah. Do you want to hear a warning? Yeah. I know you do. Well, listen to me carefully. The Power Rangers know their stuff. I don't do what they do. I don't want you to copy anything that they do. You hear me? Yeah. All right. Was that Saturday mornings, or was that just... I mean, Mr. Motivator would host a lot of the kids programming um, bank holidays in the late 90s. You're right, actually. Do you know what? I am thinking of the summer holiday when it was like every morning. Yeah. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. I think, I think it could have... It was daily at some point. Because, obviously, there was so much Power Rangers yeah, that, that you could to, just to get through enough of it to be the point where you were on Green Ranger already. It would have had to have aired daily. It's also the sort of show where you can easily just cycle through them over and over again and the audience will barely notice. Oh, yeah, that's what it was made yeah, for. Yeah. You know, they didn't really make shows like that again at this mm. point in the 90s. We were just coming out the back end of it. In the 80s, 65 episodes was the standard. You would do 65 episodes a year. That's 13 weeks and then they would just cycle mm. that, you know. That's the magic number. That's why you've got 13 episodes. That means it aired on Saturday mm-hmm. mornings. If it's got 65 episodes, that means it aired on weekdays. Boom. Simple as that, you know. Power Rangers was, was going to have 40 oh, yeah. because they thought, this is old tosh and we can fart <laughs> this out. And then, paradoxically, bizarrely, people liked it. <laughs> And they just made more of it. Well, the reason they liked it was because of how extremely good it was, because it was great. <laughs> Lean into your microphone and clarify that you're lying. <laughs> uh, Power Rangers was extremely good. It was very good. <laughs> it's just me being old. It does upset me that what kids want now is phones and tablets instead of... Toys based on rubbish TV. Yeah, I agree completely. Come on, come on, play with a stick, for God's sake. Yeah, at least have a go on Screwball Scramble. <laughs> anyway, we're veering dangerously into talking like old men, so shall we go back to this comic from 25 years ago? <laughs> Listen to me now. Don't emulate, don't imitate, don't copy the Power Rangers, hear me? Q-Zone, yeah? I mean, yeah, but also no. I got nothing here. It's Dave Gibbon giving us tips for Pete's Empress Tannis, an extended bit about how to do one track in virtual racing. Good gravy. And then some codes for Robocop versus Terminator. Yeah. You said Pete's Empress Tannis there. <laughs> Pete's Empress Tannis? Yeah. Are you sure that wasn't just my accent? <laughs> uh, yeah, I wondered for a moment. I, you know what? I don't care. It'll add some flavour to this bit. This is the thing. It gives us some flipping content for this Q-Zone. We may have to just accept and acknowledge with our listeners that we are sometimes just not going to mention the Q-Zone because... There's no point. I mean, I'm always up to just list off the games that he's given codes for. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. which I just did. But, but uh, yeah. and make fun of anything that sounds dumb, which I just <laughs> did. Jesus Christ. There's a page and a half here about how to do one track on Virtua Racing, complete with five separate screenshots, to be fair, showing different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're yeah. trying, but wow, they must have been low on uh, Yes, I don't know what I. Because I didn't read this carefully, I don't know what I'm being oh, told here, but it's like, go around the track. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. Go go round. Um, 
the track. Uh, there's moments where it's like, oh, hit the brakes here. This will help you decrease your speed enough to take the corner easily. So it's just it's explaining how to play a racing game, really. Yeah, but this is also how to play the beginner track on easy <laughs> level. So he's oh, not yeah. really challenging you. <laughs> Decap Attack. The Replacement. Written and drawn by Nigel Kitching with letters by Steve Potter. Professor Stein has created... Life! The huge muscled monster he creates this time quickly concludes that it must kill its predecessor, Chuck. But when it realizes that this means it'll have to live in the castle with Stein and Igor for the rest of its life, it decides to run off and join the cast of gladiators instead. And immediately out of the gate, panel one, yeah. flipping hilarious. Yep, it's just a plain black panel with Let a tiny tidy. little orange light a little orange window with stein's silhouette laughing in it and the caption says the knights are really beginning to draw in castle frankenstein besides always having to draw that darn castle is a real drag <laughs> it's great he kept really good great fantastic and then straight away you have yeah he's building this new big monster but its head is one of those you know things where either way you look at the head upside down or the right way up it still kind of looks like a face yeah, and that's the whole that's gag that's the gag because you look at it in the first panel and you don't really think that there's anything wrong um, until Igor says see I did but what I thought was oh that looks like one of those things where <laughs> if you look at the head either way up it looks like a face <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciated the joke on yeah. that level Igor then says I don't mean to criticise Prof but in his head upside down Igor you dumb cough what are you talking about uh, then, now that you mention it. <laughs> and then, the creature <laughs> opens its mouth, which is in its forehead, because the head is upside <laughs> And it goes, Hey, I thought things looked kind of weird. <laughs> Ach, don't worry. I have the solution to this problem now. Here it is. Sever all nerve endings, the attached base of brain, connect arteries. I can't be bothered with all that. Igor! The spanner! And the spanner says on it, the really big spanner company. <laughs> He just gets the spanner around the fella's head and just... <laughs> oh, it's ever so good, decap. Oh, it's, but it, it's just jokes, isn't it? What yeah. can we even say? You know, What do you need this big, dumb, ugly-looking monster for? You already have, Chuck. Very funny. <laughs> and the professor says, Yeah, then we sure don't need two monsters around the castle. And that's what prompts this, this monster to kill Chuck. Just concludes, well, uh, there can only be one, so... And all the way through the fight, the rest are just sort of going like, Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep whoever wins. He overpowers Chuck, he lifts him above his head on the castle parapet in classic horror yeah. movie style. And uh, Professor Stan says, There's only one thing to say. Goodbye, Chuck. <laughs> Charming. <laughs> and then, yeah, with Chuck gone, you will stay here with us for the rest of your life. Stay here. You've got to be joking. I'm out of here. And then Igor says, he jumped, but where can a muscle-bound nitwit find any kind of future? Cut to... Final panel, a few months later. They're watching Gladiators. Gladiators! <laughs> Oh, that's an Eldorado-level TV gag, and I like it. I know, right? But better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because people actually watched it. <laughs> <laughs> and they do tell us Decapitag will return for another sneaky series Ooh. soon. 
we should say, of course, we reckon this is just a complete done-in-one decap so they can launch the new story, Marco's Magic Football, in the special Christmas issue instead of now one issue before it. Yeah. Because this is the seventh issue in a row with Decapitate. They did their six-part Who Killed Chuck? And then this one just feels like a little stopgap in the middle so they don't launch a new series right now. But this would become, like, the thing for Decapitate in the future. Single, one-shot gag strips mm. instead of like multi-part serials so this is a little glimpse into the future of yeah Attack. yeah it's good jokes go and read it what are you no, can't review it go and go it's and read jokes. it you're here for the voices good <laughs> yes yeah. gavin brandreth from stapleford visited the virgin games center when it opened in nottingham and he says he was surprised to see sonic as a guest of honor Mm. After a lot of pushing and shoving, I managed to shake his hand and he even gave me a pat on the back. Chap in a mascot suit, one assumes. Mm-hmm. Megadroid wonders, how many humes did you flatten on your quest to shake the hand of the spiky blue one, Gavin? Here we have one titled Ruiz Food. Is that That's not a pun, is it? And I don't get that. It sounds like it wants to be a pun, but I don't get it. Well... It's Adam Ruiz from Sheffield, anyway, which is where it comes from. And tell us what he's done. Tell us the crime against nature he's committed. If... I can barely even comprehend it, so I'm going to read it out verbatim and the listeners can, can try and imagine. Judge so, for yourselves. He says, here's a recipe I made up for Mobius eggs. Stop! <laughs> yeah, this looks a bit familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, we've got a gaffe here. Yeah. A printing error. Error, yes. Your ears did not deceive you. That was just a little joke. Because STC has printed the same letters page as last issue, mm-hmm. by mistake. From Gavin Brandreth visiting the Virgin Game Center, Adam Ruiz and his terrible, terrible crime against food, <laughs> and Robin uh, and his dad thinking Sonic's a chicken. <laughs> but the pictures are different! That's the weird thing! Yeah, two different fan arts! Yes. <laughs> A really weird one, and a fairly normal one. Fairly normal one is uh, by... Ooh, Still a little weird. I have to zoom in on this. Well, not zoom in, and I've got a physical copy, so I'm zooming in by moving my face closer to it. <laughs> <laughs> my nipples don't work. Joseph Tellsford... Please send in full address. ...has drawn Wonderboy. What's he dressed as? Is that a Wonderboy clothes? No, he's just wearing Wonderboy. It's normal outfit, but he's got sunglasses he's got on. sunglasses on. Because he's cool, cool, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that we both... <laughs> <laughs> it was it's the 90s, like, man. This is what we keep trying yeah, to tell you. But he's, he's, there's a bones motif. There's a little pile of bones on the floor, and he's holding a bone. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe something to do with the fact that the dinosaurs and the ghosts and everything from the last mm, story. So. But I don't know. But then Mark Diamond of Northampton, Sonic Water Fun Game winner, <laughs> has drawn. Okay, so imagine this. So it's, it's a drawing yeah. of tails, a bog-standard drawing of tails. Yep. It's just stood there. He's, you know, not like T-pose, but like, you know what I mean? The standard, I'm just standing yeah, there. It's just a standard stock position tails. But instead of Tails' <laughs> head, it's got Megadroid's head. Yes. Tails' ear poking off the side of it, and Tails' quiff poking off the other side of it. The thing about Megadroid's head, if you haven't looked up a picture of him, it's, it's just a circle with... It's very, yeah. like, if it was possible to draw a face the least capable of having a facial expression. This is it. Because he <laughs> yeah. has the shape of a Mega Drive controller, but looking like a big pair of sunglasses. Cause, pair of sunglasses. Because he's cool. That's the theme of this issue. And then he's just got a slot, which is like meant, I guess, to look like the slotty bit thingy on the Mega Drive. like the yeah. Not the slot, but like the bit. Not the actual slot, but the bit in front of the slot. Yeah. yeah, the little metallic bit or whatever it is. Looking like a slotty mouth. 
So it's not a facial expression. So it just looks... I don't know. It it makes me laugh to see people's heads replaced with. It's odd, but it's far from the oddest thing we have ever seen or will ever see on the uh, the art in Sonic the Comic. But well done, Mark Diamond. You know you're obviously very young, and that is a creative idea you've had. But yeah, so because of that, we don't have really any letters to read out. So we thought we'd go through a bit of the backlog that we've got, and I've queued up a couple of letters that we've had sent in. All right, excite me, Dave. And I am not. Briefed on these. This is my first time hearing these. Okay, so this is from Mark, never a water fun game winner, who says, Dear Humes, I think they're in charge. Dave and Chris. What a joy. Thank you so much for the podcast, which I only discovered in this calendar year, and I'm pleased to have caught up on just in time for the entry of the first issue I ever physically owned in the 90s, issue 33. Yeah, though I would go on to be a boomer until issue 216. Can you uh, remember which one issue 33 was? First Knuckles. Well, well, good. Uh, Good place to start. Yeah, the podcast is wonderful, even leading to me going on to listen to a certain Disney-based podcast related to the show. Equally as brilliant. Thank you. Referring there to my other podcast, Serious Disney, look it up. Contrary to some of your own experiences and contributions from other boomers, my love of STC was very much a solo venture. No. Yeah. Whilst I would obsess over the comic and create my own stories from it, I didn't have people around me who shared in that love. And as someone who didn't use the internet to connect in such a way for years and years, this is the first time I have heard from anybody who remembers and loves this comic as much as I do. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, love it. That's why we're doing this. That is it. You know, I mean, that means that you've managed to miss out on all that bullshit from years <laughs> and years ago. You're in here yeah. now with the love with your people. Yeah. I do have one request, though, if possible. A new feature to replace the eyelid watch. Ooh. Checkerboard landscape watch. Whilst I was not pedantic or precious about Sonic when I started reading STC... The decision to make the Emerald Hill Zone the base over Green Hill Zone annoyed me as a kid. I always felt Game 1, Zone 1, should have been the base of operations, and I had no law books or Stay Sonic to reference. To compound my frustration, the art in STC would keep drawing the Emerald Hill Zone wrong by featuring it with a checkerboard landscape. Lovers of the games would know that the orange and brown checkered pattern was a feature of the Green Hill Zone and not the Emerald Hill Zone, though sparingly used in the odd column. My frustration with the Emerald Hill Zone base decision would live on in my readership. If you are not making the base in Green Hill, then why do you keep presenting me with Green Hill Zone? I hope that 26 years on, the new Humes that think they're in charge can at least make mention of it so that I can finally get on with my life! Kind regards, Mark, never a water fun game winner. Yes, that is a point, isn't it? Well, I mean, it is in the, in the twisty, just, bridge just not yeah. to the extent that it is in the Green Hills. No, it would just appear on like blocks here and there in the background. And it's, it's in the loops too, and you know, it's it just a, yeah, you know, it's it's like you know, like the base of the Emerald Hill Zone landscape looks like uh, Tetris. You know, mm. they're all different columns and squares, but some of the columns and squares have the checkerboards on them. Mm, yeah, but not many of them compared to Green Hill, and they are no, I mean. Green Hill is just 100% checkerboard, sure. Yeah, yeah. he has a point. He has I've a point. honestly never thought about it. No, no I, no, I confess I never noticed. I didn't even notice that Emerald Hill Zone doesn't have as many checkerboard patterns. Because the main visual image of Emerald Hill Zone as opposed to Green Hill Zone is the twisty round things, the Mobius strip type, the corkscrew bridges. And those do have it. 
So I guess that was enough to make me miss that point. But yes, yeah, so that will bug me now. I think we are going to have checkerboard yeah. watch. Yeah, I am now absolutely never going to be able to not notice it whenever I see it in the comic now. So mm. I guess, yeah, it will be watching it in our hearts, if, mm. not, if not calling it out every time. <laughs> uh, yes. And finally, we have this from Ollie. Ollie Homewood, I think it's pronounced, who says, Hi Dave and Chris, you're probably aware of this by now. But you have an incredibly entertaining podcast on your hands here. Oh, oh thank you. Everybody's much. leading with uh, flattery this time, and I haven't picked them out for that reason. <laughs> I promise. I've been working my way through all of your shows during lockdown, and they provide a wonderful nostalgic relief, not just for the comic I grew up with and loved to bits, but you also paint a beautiful picture of what it was like to be a British child and Sega fan in the 90s. Good. I'm glad. That's the point. That's the aim. That was part of the mission. That was in the trailer. Yes, right, yeah. Part of the mission statement. I co-host a general video game podcast called Pod'em Up, if you don't mind a plug. So as a podcaster, I understand exactly how much work you guys put into your amazing show from its editing. Oh, thank you. Production values research. <laughs> that, that, that's gone downhill. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, one, of, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> and also just how funny the two of you are together. Hey, so well done for me and long may it continue. Ah, Oh, I'm feeling all warm and glowy now. My, my, my cockles are all warmed. I just like knowing that people enjoy the show. You know? But that's not the only thing that Ollie is here to say. For about five years, I bought every issue of STC from 24 onwards, and it really did become my Sonic Bible. You might even see two or three drawings of mine that actually made it into the graphic zone in a few years' time. I'll remind you when we get there. Yes, and Absolutely. and remind us before we get there. <laughs> because it's yeah. too late, you know, <laughs> once it's already recorded. It's like a few weeks beforehand, tell us. I knew that they'd invented certain characters and tweaked certain game adaptations, but nonetheless, I was horrified to discover in the early noughties that Metal Sonic wasn't really called Metallics. Yes, I think no. I'm being a bit disappointed by that myself. You know, I think I always just sort of knew that. For some reason, I think I always just knew that Metallics was just his name in Sonic the Comic. Even mm. though, obviously, it was the best and the right and the correct version. Yeah. For some reason, I just I just always knew that one thing. Yeah. So Metal Sonic wasn't really called Metallic. Super Sonic wasn't really evil. Amy's hair wasn't supposed to point that way. And Sonic was... <laughs> hey, I didn't learn that till basically we started doing this show, so... <laughs> <laughs> And that Sonic was actually supposed to be sickeningly nice to everyone. <laughs> that's, that's a way to look at it, yeah. Sickeningly nice. I still follow the series closely and mostly love the games, but the scripts of Nigel Kitching and the wonderful, inspiring artwork of Richard Elson will absolutely stay in my heart forever. I just want to leave you with a question. How feasible do you think it would be for somebody to put together a book, or even series of books, compiling high-quality scans of some of the better and more important Sonic stories from STC history? Who would we need to ask to get the ball rolling? What sort of copyrights still stand in the way? I'm not talking huge production numbers or appearing in the shelves of Waterstones, just big enough print runs for all the STC diehards to collect and cherish, as our original comics begin to sadly degrade, crumble away, or get lost in the attic. Thank you once again, guys, and I'd love to know your thoughts. Well, that is a white whale of many an STC fan. It's a bit of a mystery, mm. but I was talking about this with somebody recently just on Twitter, and anybody who knows the details better than Dave or oh, yeah. I, feel free to write in and clarify. But it doesn't seem to be the same situation as a lot of licensed comics, uh, at least in you know American licensed comics would seem to be, where the license to this may not strictly lie with Sega. Mm. It seems that Fleetway, who became owned by Egmont and whose library is now owned by Rebellion, the company that publishes 2018, 
It seems they may own the rights to reproducing this. And further to that, it may be that the rights to the original characters that were created for STC, like Techno and Short Fuse, lie with the artists and writers who created them. And mm -hmm. my main point of reference for this sort of thing is, of course, Transformers, where that all has to be cleared with Hasbro. Reprints have to be cleared, and any original characters that are created for comics or cartoons are inherently owned by them and are grandfathered in as part of the brand. And that does not seem to be the case with Sonic. And even if it wasn't definitely the case, and it's not, obviously, sad to say, Ken Penders has once again ruined everything for everybody. After the attempt to challenge Ken Penders' ownership of the characters he created for the Archie comics backfired so badly when Archie couldn't produce any paperwork saying otherwise. Archie's line, incidentally, was that same with Transformers, that Penders' work for their comics was work for hire, and that they owned all of the original characters that he had created as a condition of that work for hire. Penders denied that, and Archie couldn't produce the contract that stated otherwise, because reportedly had been well, lost in a fire or something like that? Was, was, yeah, was something like that. I yeah. Mean, yeah. So they couldn't prove it. Presumably, that must be something like true, otherwise, because it's in their interest to yeah. have and archive mm -hmm. those things. So they couldn't prove it, so yeah, um, Penders was awarded the rights to the many, many, many original mm. characters he had bogged the Archie mm. Sonic comic down with. And that's why the Archie comics had to reboot themselves so drastically to cut out all of his influence. Yeah. It resulted in Sega instituting really draconian new rules on how the characters and the characters around them could be depicted. Game characters couldn't be shown to do certain things or display certain excessive emotions. They weren't able to have family members, things like that. Ultimately, it sort of just broke Archie and Sega's relationship, and it's why the Archie comic went away and why IDW makes the comics now. I mean, the rules might be different now again, because obviously IDW created Tangle and Whisper for their new comic, and those yep. characters have just appeared in the Sonic... Mo it's a mobile game, right? Yeah. So there might be some different uh, situation currently, but it seems to me that the weird situation that surrounds the comics anyway, compounded by the problems the whole Penders thing wound up shoveling on top of them, means it's not something we'll probably ever see. Hashtag STC trades, but... Uh... There's not much we can do. No. Except go through it issue by issue here with you every fortnight. Exactly. Because you don't get the ads in a trade. No, that's the thing! <laughs> exactly! <laughs> now here's a letter you'll be interested in. This pertains to our latest episode. PJ Montgomery of Cardiff, Mega Drive Game Gear owner, former Mega Drive Mini owner, current... PJ writes, Hi again, Dave and Chris. Thank you for continuing to produce your wonderful podcast. Every fortnight it provides me with a lovely hit of nostalgia and fun. This email, however, is in response to the letter in the latest issue about Mobius eggs. Oh no. <laughs> Why would anybody want to remember these? <laughs> Something about the recipe seemed vaguely familiar to me. And I've just realised why. It is a less classy version of a recipe from Delia Smith's Complete Cookery Course book. Delia! You betray me thus! First published in 1992, which I've made. In the book, it's called Omelette Savoyard. 
instead oh, of chips. Well, if you yes. called it that, that would totally change it. Instead of chips, oh. you cut potatoes into small pieces, then peel and cut up an onion instead okay. of using onion rings. Well, that's you, all right. You also add bacon before covering them with the beaten eggs and frying further. Per the Mobius eggs recipe, you don't flip it, you just cover it in cheese and stick it under the grill to finish it off. Delia even finishes her recipe by saying, quote, In the summer, this tastes just as good cold. Oh, Delia. Delia. Oh, you revolting woman. I mean, if you... I mean... (laughs) Sorry, Delia. Cubed potatoes, bits of onion and bacon, that's... It's remarkable, actually, that it is exactly the same ingredients and yet somehow not a crime worthy of being tried at The Hague. I can only conclude that Delia is an STC fan and that she wrote in using Adam Ruiz as a pseudonym, dumbing down the recipe so as to appear to be a child and get published in her favourite comic. Yeah, good theory. Anyway, thanks again. I'm very excited to hear your coverage of some future Knuckles strips that are particular favourites of mine. Thanks for that, PJ. PJ! I mean, it shines a light on what we thought was cuisine in the 1990s, doesn't it? (laughs) No, yeah. So there we go. That's Speedlines. If you want to send us some messages, and please do, by the way, because that's us cleared through quite a bit of our backlog now. You know, we've got a bit of an empty uh, letters bin. So write us something or send us a picture or send us a voice file or whatever it is you want to do to stctpodcast at gmail.com and get your letter Printed in the Speedline section of this podcast. And that will bring us to the end of issue 40. Next issue, STC goes mega-sized. 48 pages of excitement. It's the first of our super-sized Christmas issues. Free (laughs) Badnik spotter cards. Your first set of six. Six? I didn't remember that going on for six issues. No, isn't it that it's a set of six cards? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's more than a game, Brian. It's a brand new series, Marco's Magic Football. Plus, it's the only game in town. It's Streets of Rage, new series. What? Really? They didn't drop that one on us, right? No (laughs) forewarning whatsoever. It's going to be a new story. I mean, like, I guess I knew in my head, obviously, Eternal Champions had ended, so something was going to have to replace Mm. it, but I just didn't... Hey, it's the third series of Streets of Rage, and I'm still waiting for Echo and Chameleon over here. (laughs) (laughs) And regular favourites, Sonic, Knuckles, and special bonus stories featuring Amy and Megatron. Yes! Oh, I can't wait for that. Oh, brilliant. Plus compost pinups, puzzles, and more. STC 41, an even bigger issue. On sale Saturday, the 10th of December, special price, one fifty. There we go. We've done another issue. Chris, I like this comic. What about you? It's all right, isn't it? <laughs> It'll do, won't it? All right. So, everybody, you can join us in another two yeah. weeks for another episode of this flipping thing. The first of our Christmas specials, which we shall have a special guest for. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. Mm. And you'll be able to find that episode on Apple Podcasts or everywhere that podcasts are available. But if you want to download it directly from our website, you can do so at stctp.wigglehe.com. Yes. And for the last, gosh, I can't even remember how many episodes I've been making those go out automatically at like seven in the morning on a Friday morning. So you can get it there just before you can get it anywhere else, because that's how the apps work. So if you're... 
if you really need to download Have it, it ready for your commute exactly. on Friday morning. Yeah, exactly. If you're commuting. If that is what is still going on in this weird world in which we inhabit. Dave keeps you abreast of things like that on Twitter, where you can follow the podcast itself, at Sonic Podcast, but Dave will always make a post about how he's getting the episode ready to go out over on his Twitter, which is... Demon Tomato Dave. And you've got Twitter and all in you. I do. It's at Chris McFeely. And we're both on YouTube under those names as well, and Dave is on Twitch. These days we are edited by our special editor, Sam, who just finished his 110-hour-long Alexandra Quick and the Audiobook project. You can find that and anything else he does at samgabrielvo.com. And we're able to pay him because of our Patreon. If you would like to support us so that we can get all sorts of new things made, or, you know, maybe even just actually just take home some money ourselves, you know, we don't, we, we don't do this for free, you know. I mean, we do. I mean, we That's do. That's the thing. Currently, we do. It'd be lovely if we didn't. That'd be the dream. But, uh, yeah, you can help us out by going to patreon.com forward slash stctp. And it's not without reward. You get stuff when you go there. Nope, there are bonus videos. We got bonus videos for you up on Patreon. Whole long videos. I mean, they are episode length. They're kind of episode <laughs> length. They're the length of other people's podcasts. We're looking at the Martin Adams Sonic novels. And Dave is reading me his terrible teenage Sonic fanfic Yay! as well. They're two very different experiences. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thus far. <laughs> yeah, that's like quite a lot of content. You get like two videos a month of those different things and do that. Go and join us. It's good. It's a place that you'll like. I seem to have gone completely doolally. Let's finish this podcast somehow. Our theme song was synchronized by Sonic the Comic The Band, who you can hear more of at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But we are Sonic the Comic The Podcast, and we will see you next time. time.